That's a vision. You know what else is a vision? You. I'm in the presence of greatness yet again. And you, you look lost up until this point, but I think we have just found you. And boy, I need you to stay. If you're into true crime, you need to stay. You need to help a girl out, because today on Gone Bad, the series that I do about people that have not been criminals, have done ordinary jobs, have lived ordinary lives, and then suddenly, one day, decided, whoa, snap decision, turning criminal. Yeah, this week it's featuring a woman that I have heard about five, six days ago, and have completely obsessed, and have thought about it every single day, so I was like, might as well, might as well research on this and ask people for their opinions, because it's an interesting case, and the way you think about it might surprise you in the end. Let's just say that. Let's just clickbait you in and then dive into the motherfucking story. And as always, if you like my controversial stories that aren't covered in many other places, please make sure you like the video to support this girl for free and also to subscribe to this channel, just because, you know, I would very much love to quit a customer service job. If you have ever worked in customer service, you will understand the pain. You will say it with me. You will understand the pain. Make it into a song. Okay. Now, Margot Freshwater and her story. Quick shout out, I have heard this on True Crime all the time. It's a podcast that actually was one of the first true crime podcasts I have listened to. Mike and Gibby, love you, appreciate you. You will never probably find out about this video, but that's where I've learned about this case. I listen to it religiously like every single week. They have that one and they have True Crime all the time unsolved with the unsolved cases. It's very much just the two of them diving straight into these cases. There's not too much chatter, but it's kind of like discussion type. So it's not just too dry and scripted. Yeah, I love those guys. I would definitely recommend the podcast. So now, Margot Freshwater that I have been sitting on for the past six days and need people's opinions. Let's go. So imagine this. It's March 2002 and you are part of the production team behind Unsolved Mysteries. Dream job. Am I right? You're prepping a new episode on the subject Margot Freshwater. And what you know about Margot so far is that she has been on the run. She escaped prison 32 years ago and nobody was able to track her down. And you have no sightings of her. Nobody ringing in saying they might have seen her. Her family members actually declared her dead almost two decades before this episode was to actually air. So you really have nothing except... You have a name. Because Margot escaped prison with another person, and this other inmate got caught. And then she sent to the police, and she said, well, Margot was kind of saying, you know, hypothetically, if she was to ever escape, she would use a name kind of like Tanya or Tonya. She really liked that name. So now, as a producer, of Unsolved Mysteries, you only have that information. So you're prepping that episode and you put in a call to Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. And the agent, Greg Elliott, on the other side of that line tells you, no, like, literally everything has gone cold. Like, every single clue we might have had has gone cold. I mean, we declared her dead. Like, her family declared her dead. So 
they're not even really looking for her for the past like decade or so. The producers of Unsolved Mysteries that they're like, okay, okay, but can you just entertain us? Like literally we have nothing to lose here. Can you just put the name Tonya in the database? And here we have her date of birth. Marco's birthday was on June the 4th. Can you just run it like against her date of birth? Like what do we have to lose? And the agent Greg Elliott on the other side of the line just runs that. He's like, yeah, of course, sure. And then I suppose there is like a silence, a penetrable silence on both ends. And he's like, we, we have a match. This bitch, <laughs> this woman would have never been caught had she not remained a Gemini. So Agent Elliot finds out where she lives, obviously, and he finds out she's in this rural area in Columbus in Ohio. So he puts a call through their police station and he just says, okay, well, give us like a recent document. Do you have, for example, driver's license? To be fair, let's just compare the driver's license that you have to the mugshot that we have of her from the 1960s. And he said when they sent through the driver's license, they were just all in shock. They couldn't believe this was happening because it just looked like mother and daughter. Because 32 years have passed, it was just uncanny how similar these two people looked. Because, again, they were the same person. Now they're digging deeper and looking at something else that can confirm that this is indeed Margot Freshwater going under the name Tonya McCarter. So something beyond the similarities in pictures and date of birth. And they look into her employment record and they realize that Tonya McCarter never worked between the year 1966 and 1970 when Margot Freshwater was in prison. But the officers just couldn't believe it because Tonya was living in Worthington in Ohio. So in this suburb where Margot was born and grew up her whole life, different family members still lived in that area. They were like, it's impossible. Either somebody else is in on it or she has managed to successfully live in the area where she was born without ever getting caught or changing her looks. Because if you remember the driver's license that they have found didn't look much different. Obviously there was the age difference, but it's not like she was wearing a wig, that she dyed her hair, that she drastically changed her looks, like I don't know, had plastic surgery. Absolutely none of that. So they just found it unfathomable that this woman has been living in the exact same area for all those years while technically being on the run. Between March and May, the police officers were just following her. They were kind of like scouting her, seeing like what her daily routines are. And they realized Margot, who was 54 years at the time, she has three children and three grandchildren. She lives with her husband and just looks like the most normal family you will ever see. In May, they had enough, like they had enough comparisons and they knew that they had to take her off the streets and make the arrest. So they again followed the family going into leisure center. I think it's called sports clubs in the US. One of those facilities where they have like pools and gyms and stuff. So the whole family went swimming and as soon as they got out at the car park, the police officers stopped Margot and said that they have reasons to believe that she is Margot Freshwater, a fugitive that has been on the run for 32 years. Which must have been a bit awkward. <laughs> Just there with your family being like, oh damn. 
managed to hide this for like 32 years. This is how they catch me. Okay. And her husband immediately like intervened. was like, there's no way. Like, this is my wife, Tonya McCarter. Like, she even shares my last name. The kids immediately said like, no, this is like our mom. Like, we, we know the woman. She gave birth to us. We've been living with her for quite some time. But Margot kind of just leaned in and whispered into their ears. I was always afraid this day would come. She just knew and she just surrendered and let herself be arrested. And what's so fascinating about this particular arrest, rather re-arrest, because she was already charged and escaped from prison, is that nobody could believe it. Her husband went on ABC's Good Morning America and he said he thinks he has the capability of knowing his wife by now. Like, they've spent around 30 years together, they have had three children, they have had grandchildren. He's like, I think I would have known. Like, and also he said, like, he doesn't actually think that she would have been capable of doing the crimes that we're gonna talk about that they are accusing Margot of committing. Her brother Tommy Freshwater said that just the fact that she never reoffended for 32 years should be proof enough that she might not have committed the crime in the first place. And this will become the prevalent issue in this story and the one question that I will have for you towards the end. But before we talk about that, Margot Freshwater was on the longest run in Tennessee's history. And her run has just been cut short. So who was she and what have they accused her of doing in the first place? So Margot, as I told you, has been born a Gemini on June the 4th, 1948. We don't know zilch about her childhood here. The first time we know of any events of Margaret's life is from November 1966. And we pick up here in particular because there is a record from her high school that she dropped out at this time. But what the high school staff didn't know is that Margot dropped out because she was pregnant. And she planned to give up the child for adoption as soon as she gives birth to it. Because when he found out that she was pregnant, her boyfriend just dumped Margot. So she was there in a really bad financial situation and she realized the best option here is for me to give this child up for adoption. Soon after giving the child up for the adoption, Margot started dating again. She started dating this guy who was really bad news. Her name was Alfred Schlereff. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. And he was soon after starting to date Margot, actually arrested for an armed robbery. Margot unfortunately didn't just run for the hills in that situation, but she actually went from Ohio to Tennessee, where he was imprisoned, to find him a lawyer, to find him a good attorney. And if you're anything like me, you might stop and wonder, like, at what exact point did everything turn to, like, one side of everything has shifted for you? Because it usually comes with one single decision. And truly and honestly, in this story, this was the decision for Margot. Because the attorney that she chooses, let me tell you about this guy, this guy's a piece of work. Okay, his name is Glenn Nash. His name, it's, it's a Glenn and it's a male and it's not an Oscar-winning freaking actress, you know, that's gonna be trouble. This is how his colleagues describe him. I need to read this out to you because this is gold. Glenn Nash was an intelligent person, but somewhere along the lines, his drinking and mental situation apparently deteriorated and he just took a left-hand turn. 
So he was an attorney and also a drunk. So Glenn was a bit special when Margot met him at this point in his life. But you see, at this point in time, our boy Glenn wasn't just a drunk and a really bad lawyer. He was also super paranoid. He was kind of later diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, but he thought that everybody, but in particular the Memphis Bar Association, was out to get him. So every single person that he would meet, he would get super paranoid around them. Margot meets up with Glenn now, and she just decides to be honest. She tells him, listen, I don't have the money to pay for this trial. Like, I am broke. I literally went from giving up the child for an adoption to just dating this guy who turned out to be a criminal. I have nothing to give you. So, Glenn agrees to take this case pro bono. But, of course, there's a catch. Nothing in this life comes for free. Don't believe people who tell you that. Never. Because he also books an accommodation for him and Margot in a boarding house. You know where this is going? Yeah. So at first, this was honestly like attorney-client relationship. It's just they were also sleeping together in the same place. But sure, yeah, uh, you know, attorney-client privilege and all that. No, nothing, nothing of that sort in this case. What I'm driving at is at first there was at least intention from Margot to get her boyfriend, the actual boyfriend, out of prison. But then she just got swooped into this newly imposed relationship and her and Glenn became lovers. And then you see how I said Glenn got them this accommodation in the boarding house. The boarding house landlady said the two of them literally just said they're gonna go out bowling, but then they never came back. And like one day passed, couple of days passed, and she's like, should I be concerned? Should I like be calling the police? But actually, it would be the police that will get to them first. Between December the 6th and December the 27th, Margot and Glenn went on a spree. This might be a good time to mention that Glenn at the time was actually 20 years older than Margot, so we see some grooming potential here. Uh, and he was also married at the time. Yeah, that will also become relevant. But remember that paranoia, because that paranoia is going to become the main drive of this spree. And as I tell you about this spree, I would like you to think about a couple of things. First of all, do you see this as truly a split decision for her? Did she just get caught into this? Do you see her as a victim of circumstances? Or do you think, like, in most dual cases, where it's like a male and a female that are a criminal couple, that women are usually more callous than the men, and they're usually the masterminds of all of these actions. Do you see her more as just a victim who got under his spell and then realized, okay, this guy's actually like batshit crazy and completely insane, and I'm scared for my life? Or do you see her as more of a mastermind figure? I just like you to kind of go into this thinking, which one are you leaning more towards? The first stop was this liquor store. Glenn got in and he threatened the clerk with a gun, so he immediately put him into one of the back rooms and Margot was left as if like working behind the counter, just serving customers as if she really worked there. 
And while Margot is just there posing, like everything is fine, this is not a robbery, Glenn is in the back with the clerk called Hillman Robbins, who probably just wanted to earn his minimum wage and just come and do his freaking job. Glenn is in the back interrogating him, asking him, are you one of them? Are you one of the Memphis Bar Association people? Are you out to get me? Confess, confess, confess. He then tied Mr. Robbins up and just shot him, and it was later revealed that the man left behind a wife and two children. But him and Margot were out of this shop and just back into their car, out on their spree. Here there was a witness that clearly stated they have seen two people, they look like a couple, which is like a man and a woman, and they went out to the liquor store, went into their white Ford and drove away. 12 days later, on December the 18th, somebody else is going to witness a very familiar scene. Again, in a convenience store, but now miles away in Florida. So they have been on a run all this time. And again, the witness just entered the convenience store after witnessing two people go into the same white Ford and just drive away manically. This witness goes into the convenience store and finds the body of Esther Boya, who was shot to death. It will later come out that she was shot with the same caliber gun as well. But the police wouldn't have even connected the two because it's different states. That is, until they found that white Ford on this highway shoulder, and the random license plates realize this car belongs to Glenn Nash and have issued the APB out for him. Now the two of them are on foot. They don't even have a car for some reason that was never explained. And the next that they will pick up on these two is December 27th, when Glenn and Margot got into this cab driven by C.C. Serret, who will later be found shot to death. And the police here, I suspect, would be pissed. Like, at least one of them is paranoid, the other one is, again, a follower at best, if not, like, a mastermind. But they're just thinking, like, how are they outsmarting us? They're, like, on foot. So how are they transporting themselves when they're not in cabs killing cab drivers? And they thought, well... What about bus stops? Let's count the bus stops in this area where they have found a cab. And that finally ended up paying off. The police finally spots them at one of these bus stops and they go to arrest them. And they have brought them to the closest police station in Mississippi. And just to finish the saga on Glenn, because we need to leave the toxic people in the past, he was declared mentally insane, so he was found incompetent to stand trial. And he was eventually sent to the mental hospital instead. He has since been released, and that wife of his stuck by him. She soldiered through that marriage and stayed with him after all of this. Oh, and also Glenn, kind of like Margot, will stay out of reoffending as well. He will stay out of any further crimes and wrongdoings. So I find that interesting as well, especially with a guy like Glenn Nash. As for Margot, they have done this spree in three different states. So Margot is gonna end up having three different trials. Listen, I don't know how that works. I, I thought, like, they export you to your home state and that's where you get trialed. Yet again, I ain't American. I don't know shit. Margot's first trial was in Mississippi, where she was arrested. And here, two juries actually deadlocked. They just could not decide, because this is where they were prosecuting her for the cab driver shooting. And they just couldn't figure out, like, whether she had any involvement, whether she was just in the car, whether she was the accessory for the killing. So Margot ended up being acquitted here. Then we moved to Florida. 
Here, the jury again just couldn't decide because here there was no clear witness testimonies saying this is Margot, this is who we saw, we saw a couple. So here I think she might have gotten away just because there was like no clear vision. Somebody just was entering a shop and they saw like a car speed away and kind of maybe possibly one or two people going into that car. But when they dispatch her to Memphis, to the third state, here she knew she will not get off that easily. She knew she had to have some solid argument because here there is a witness testimony. She was definitely on the scene and she knew what was going on in the back of that shop. Her defense here was that Glenn imprisoned her. She claimed that he said he would kill her, her family, if she tried to escape. But the prosecution successfully managed to establish that she was in the liquor store at the time of the shooting. She could have run away while he was in that back room. She could have driven that car right into the police station, reporting all these crimes, ending everything. But here the jury and the judge just weren't buying it. And if you think she wasn't the best character that you could see at trial. Like, yes, they can always see you being dressed in a suit and looking all innocent and nice, but then when they hear you were like an unwed pregnant woman that gave the child up for an adoption, then you started dating this guy and then you ditch him for a married man that's also 20 years older than you and then you went on a spree, you don't really seem like such a victim. Your defense of being under arrest and being scared for your life just might not work in those cases. And there was always a question of, well, she didn't pull the trigger in any of these instances, so she didn't technically kill anybody herself. But the judge in this case said that doesn't matter. She was there. She could have prevented all three of these murders. So on February the 7th, 1969, the jury in this case will have no doubts at all. And they will sentence her for first degree murder and Margot got 99 years to serve in prison. But that didn't last for long because on October next year, Margot and Faye Fairchild are about to jump over a fence and just leg it. So what happened is they were getting escorted, the two of them, by this unarmed police guard. And then they saw their opportunity because, again, there's no arms, there's nobody like on top of the building observing them to shoot them. So the two of them just went for it, like they like... I don't think there was any pre-planning here. And this guard, instead of running after them, went back inside to alert somebody else to go after them, which is just... <laughs> which just the credibility of that particular prison must have gone down. Faye will actually be caught and rearrested in 1990, but Margot would still remain on the run. And now when we pick back up at that car park with Tonya slash Margot being arrested again, we find out what happened after that escape. Margot yet again was in a bit of a boy trouble because for 18 months that she has stayed in prison, she managed to get pregnant. Nobody knows whether this was consensual between her and the guard, whether the guard again groomed her or anything like that. It was just known that after her escape, she was kind of desperately looking to find a home for that child yet again. 
So quickly she hooked up with this guy called Philip Zimmerman and she again was upright and honest about her situation. She told him she was pregnant, it's a child of rape and he accepted it. The two of them got married and remained married for the next seven years but then they have split up. During this time, Margot applied for a different security card and then a different driver's license under her new alias. I truly hope that this is something that you could only do because this was different time, like 70s, and you can't do it today? America? Can you confirm? But after Philip Zimmerman, she found another Glenn. She dated another Glenn, Glenn Hodkins, and this man unfortunately died of cancer. But girl, can you learn? Can you learn? Don't date the person with the same exact name. I think this Glenn had one N in his name though. So yeah, that made a difference in pronunciation. During these years, she had a variety of jobs. She worked as a bartender, as a nurse's aide. Then after this second marriage that she had with Glenn that also resulted in another child, she was working up. Like, she somehow managed to get better and better jobs. So she got this job as the admin assistant for an insurance company. And through this job, she would again meet people because she was in the same hometown where she was literally born and raised. She would kind of meet with people that she knew through like school, primary school, because she dropped out of high school. So I can see how somebody can see you after like 30 years and be like, oh yeah, like I don't recognize this person. Like they have changed clearly. But yet again, how? How? I still think I would recognize like every single person that I have went to school with unless they have literally had like, I don't know, 10 plastic surgeries. Like, yes, there is a difference in looks, but it's not that insane. It's not like they were all 80 and then it's like a completely different aging that we are talking about. I think she actually said in one statement that she at one occasion saw her aunt and like the aunt kind of like saw her and there was this moment of like, is she gonna acknowledge that this is me? But it never happened. They just crossed paths, they moved on, and the aunt never realized that that was indeed Margot. Which was what led the family to declare her dead in 1984, because she escaped prison, like, what, 11 years before that? And they had to settle, like, the estate after, I think, her grandma died. So yet again, they just decided to declare her dead and move on. One thing that nobody's talking about, and do you not find it bizarre, is the husband's family. Like, how are they? They're just believing, what, that her whole family is dead? Even if you are left, like, an orphan or something. Like, you must have, like, somebody, like, a distant relative. It's just like, no. Like, what story did she tell this person that was so believable? I'd be sus as fuck if I was dating somebody and they're like, no, my mom, dead, dead, dead. Uh-huh, so what about your grandpa? No, everybody's just dead. How did they die? They have their death certificates. And on the other side of that, her lack of interest, like her grandma died, like the estate was split, like she never just had the intention to just go to her brother and be like, hey. I mean, she couldn't because that would put her back in prison, but like, wow, that is cold. That is cold. After this second marriage and her husband's death, she actually went to this dating agency and this is where she met Daryl MacArthur. 
From what I read, Daryl and her were both into ballroom dancing, and Daryl was a trucker, so he would take her on these long-haul trucking journeys. Enter the term that I have never heard of, because again, I'm not a trucker, I'm not American, sorry to disappoint, and also I haven't lived in like 70s. But this is still like a whole last Wikipedia page of slang and terms that truckers used through something that was back in the day known as Citizens Band Radio. It reminds me of the last book of Harry Potter when they had that like Potter Squad, whatever it was called. Have you heard about it? I found it fascinating. I have, even have a couple of examples for you. Do you know what it means when you say Checkpoint Charlie? Well, if you were a trucker and you were to hear like, hey, Checkpoint Charlie is around the corner, he's back in town, did you know? Then you would slow the fuck down because the police car would be one of those ambush police cars that would just flag up the sirens just as you were to pass them by and they would stop you and test you for like drunk driving or like do you have a valid driver's license. Another term, another term. Polar bear. What could it be? So it's white and it's a bear so it's probably a slang for a cop, like a police officer. So yes, it is the white unmarked police vehicle. Well, why am I telling you about all of this? Because of course, in the romantic fashion, Daryl gave her, Margot, her own CB nickname. And it was Sexy Legs. There's no... There's no... There's nothing to uncover there. This is not a CB slang. Do better. And can you guess Daryl's nickname? No, we are getting, we are going there. Because if I cringed, you will cringe. Can you guess Daryl's nickname? It's the leg inspector. I, I have nothing. I have nothing. There's no, like, just... How is a concept so genius turned to something like sexy legs and leg inspector? I will never. This is the heel I will die on. No, you can't tell me you're a proud trucker and then this is what you can do. So only 18 months before she was recaptured again, Margot and Daryl married. And this is where we pick up in the timeline from the beginning of the story where Margot was recaptured in that car park and what happened again. Well, obviously she had to go to trial again. For somebody to decide, taking this into consideration, taking into consideration she didn't reoffend for 32 years, but also she didn't really pay for her crimes, how much of her sentence is she to serve? So when they have done their math and taken into consideration time served, even though it wasn't served, she got another 25 years. So she wasn't even to be considered to be released until 2029. But we are here because of a reason. And the reason is that she was released in 2011. So altogether, she served around 10 and a half years because she served around nine that second time and about like 18 months on the first occasion before her prison escape. Right now, Margot is 73. She returned after prison back to her husband who waited for her all this time and she's still great mother, great grandmother to those children. So that's a story about Margot Freshwater. So why are we here? Well, did you know that about 45% of prisoners that spend some time in federal prisons reoffend within five years of their release? Margot was not one of those people. Now, an even more alarming fact. Did you know that around 77% when you take both federal and state prisons of those inmates that have been released will, again, reoffend within five years of their release? 
Margot, yet again, was not one of the reoffenders. The studies have shown that actually recidivists, so people that will reoffend, will most often do it within the two years, actually. So five is kind of actually giving it a stretch. It will most probably happen within the first two years because nobody focuses on the re-entry into the society and like how do we reduce the crime rate? What are you going to do after you get out? Do you have anywhere to go? And in particular, that refers to the criminals that have committed gun offenses. They are actually more likely, 68% to be specific, more likely to re-offend again after being released. Yet again, Margot was one of those people. And after escaping prison, definitely not serving her full sentence, she still did not reoffend ever, even now, when she was re-released. So where my conundrum with this case is, like every other minute, is the fact that do I think that somebody paid for those crimes correctly? Not really. No. She was there when three people died. Three people died on her watch. She could have done something to prevent it. Do I think that there was enough evidence for somebody to be like, no, 99 years is the right sentence? Also, I don't. Nobody said that she was the one to pull the trigger in any of these cases. Nobody had any proof of that. Like, in fact, the perpetrator got a more lenient sentence. He was sentenced to mental hospital and then released as well himself. So I don't really see the logic there. Would I be thinking completely differently about this if there was such evidence, which was like, no, she actually pulled the trigger in all of these three cases and she is mentally stable. She should have served 99 years for this. Then yes, but this is not the case here. We don't have that. And why we don't have that is exactly what bothers me. So had she been this calculated, callous person who really is in for these crimes, who really gets off on it, I don't think that she would have even had the option not to reoffend. Like, she would have had that drive. This is something that would be driving this woman through life. Like, she would not be living calmly her life for 32 years, having children, grandchildren, like, doing these all odd jobs, like, living in the suburbs, living her normal life. Like, that wouldn't even be the option. But then the next time when I think about this story, I'm like, well, what option did she have? She, even if she had these instincts, she had to probably submerge them. She had to, like, shove them down, shove this drive down and take it out, I don't know, ballroom dancing floor or something, and then stop thinking about this because she knew if she was to commit something else, she would land in prison again. So I really want to know your opinions on this. But hear me out. Because this is what truly I find problematic and, like, where my mind has been this whole week. And that is, do we just not want to believe in rehab and that somebody can actually be changed and can actually rehabilitate? In certain cases that I have covered on this channel or on the podcast, yeah, there is there's no help. Like, we both know, no, send that person to, to jail. Even on last meals, sometimes I'm like, even I would give them death sentence. Like, this person just does not. It's a waste of time even trying to rehabilitate them. But then, the case of Margot, does it not prove that it might be possible? Especially when you think about, like, Scandinavian countries. I was checking Norway. And Norway, like, even Anders Breivik, the guy that committed that massacre in Oslo, even he got the max of 21 years. 
and that's for like first degree murder. The equivalent of second degree murder in Norway gets like I think 6 to 12 years and then if you're just like accessory or something you spend like 3 years in jail. So I'm just thinking, okay, so how is it this different? I we just not honed in onto something because we always fight for like the harshest punishment possible. Because I think there is something to learn from this case and that is that maybe we need to shift our minds when it comes to like can people re-enter the society and can they be changed? Can they rehabilitate if they have a normal like nourishing environment around them? If they find a job, if they have a family unit, if everything is stable around them? Because maybe, just maybe, the story of Margot Freshwater might be the proof of that. But let me know what you think in the comments and be respectful because there's going to be different opinions on this one. Like, I know that. I change my opinion on it literally every five minutes. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, well, but nobody paid. But then she did serve like ten and a half years, which is kind of like the equivalent of that sentence would be in like another country. And I'm like, oh, but still, that is not what is the sentence in the American. And then I'm like, okay, maybe she <sighs> recovered and is a new person now. I don't know. I don't know, but this case stuck to me for the past six days and I was like, research, do it, cover it. So here we are. Hi. I'm not an aggressive person. So let me know in the comments what you think. Don't forget, for other controversial cases, if you want to see them, you click that like button, click me, you click on it, and you click on the subscribe button. It's red. It's very visible. It's very visible. You cannot miss it. And I will see you guys next week for yet another story of gone bad people that have just whoa split decision or has it been stay tuned for some outtakes they're just this too much this too too much this time it's just drawn on fucking ever and uh i'll see you i'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs> bye <laughs> bye god focus are you on Am I blind? What is going on? Have <laughs> I been staring at this light too long? Can you see me? What is going on? Why am I wasting tape on my husband? Yeah, showcase your butt. Yeah, showcase it. Is this charged? Yes, yes it is. Squamed. Had she not remained a Gemini? Play Lizzo. Play Lizzo right now. So that time when Lizzo said she used to date a Gemini and it was like threesome fucking with him every night because two-faced people. The description of that the genius in that song. So yeah, she chose to remain a Gemini. Like just, this is why I don't commit crime. I'm way too attached to my name and my freaking date of birth and being a Scorpio. So this is it. This is why you don't see me around committing crimes, because this would be me. I'm like, hey, you have a chance to get away with this. And I'm like, but can I stay? And I'd be there like, can I remain with my date of birth? Like, I really feel attached to it. I'm like, no, no. Can I have a, like a name that sounds exactly the same? No. No, just more. Fuck's sake, what is it now? This man, he he truly wants to be on camera. Neat. God, yeah, put the lens somewhere else. Gross. So he was an attorney and also a drunk, which just infuriates me so much. Like, how do you, how did you get into this predicament, Glenn? What a waste of time.
I don't want to shit on people's degree, but why not study something easier? Like, you need to commit to years and years and then pass the bar to become, like, a lawyer or an attorney of any sort. And then you just decide to turn to life of crime and become a drunk. Totally not a waste of your money and freaking degree. I always find it so fascinating. How can people date somebody who has, like, their ex's name? Or, or the biggest fascination of my freaking life. Yeah, show them that muscle, that fucking flab you have. The biggest fascination to me are the people that can date a person with the same name as, like, a family member of that same sex or opposite sex, depending on who they're dating, right? Like, let's say I'm dating somebody with my dad's first name. I'll be like, I can't. I'm sorry. I just cannot. Like, why would I be dating? No, that's gross. Mm-mm. Mm-mm doing better, start doing better, start, start thinking about things. When you see his first name, run, run!